So last week we talked about uh, loving our neighbors. We talked about how love must come from within, right? We're, Jesus wants to change us from within, to feel a certain way, then to act a certain way. So I just want to ask you, did you do that this week? Did you hear the word and let it transform what you do Monday through Saturday? That's what James is getting at in this text. He's saying, don't just be hearers of the word. Don't just sit and listen to a sermon. Instead, let that word get in you and let it work its way out of you. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Um, just, I just want to say that our church is a, is a very blessed church. There's a lot of places in the world where um, the Bible is not um, the most important thing. This truth is not really central to the sermons, not really central to the message. Um, instead, you get a lot of how-to messages, you know, how to have a better life, how to have more money, how to have this, how to do that, how to be a successful person. You get a lot of how-to, or you get a lot of opinions. Here's what I think about this, or here's what I think about that. And I want to tell you, as a, as a church, we're a blessed people because our, our leadership has a priority on the Word of God. It's not my opinion or our leadership's opinion. It's not how-to messages. It's this Word. The Word of God. We are a blessed people because when we gather each week, we pray, we fellowship, we worship, and then we hear the preached Word. That's a blessing. But at the same time, it's also dangerous. You say, what are you talking about? Here's the danger. It's dangerous... To sit under the preaching of the Word of God and not be changed by it. It is dangerous for the seed of the gospel to be sown onto your heart and for it not to take root. It's dangerous to hear the truth over and over and over, week after week after week, and hear the truth and it not change your life. A, a lot of Church today is built around an entertainment mentality that, you know, we hope you come. We want to entertain you. We want you to be happy. We want for when you walk out of here, we want you to respond the same way you do when you leave the movie theater with your friends and you go, ah, that was pretty good. I, I like that movie. That was good. That's not it. That's not church. We've gathered together to receive all of us to receive from God to be changed by him and to walk out and live differently. And we're a blessed church because that's the expectation. The, the reality is that when God speaks to us, His spoken word and His written word has the expectation of radically changing your life. That's the expectation. God is not charming you. He's changing you. He's not trying to please you. He's trying to transform you. When he sows the seed of the gospel, whether it's me or one of our elders, one of our leaders, if it's just whoever's reading the psalm and they're reading the word of God, let it let your heart be soft, let the soil of who you are be softened to that seed so that it sets in you. First point I want to make today is this. 
James says to us, receive the implanted word. Sort of the built-in metaphor here. He's picking up on his brother, Jesus' teachings, the implanted word. He's picking up on this idea that the word of God is a seed. And he's saying, receive the seed of the gospel. Imagine with me, if you will, if if I had a, a bag of seeds and I tossed a few out right here. What would happen? Anything? Nothing. Why? Because where I toss them, that ground is not fertile. It's not prepared to receive, right? But if I picked up those exact same seeds, went outside, dug a little hole, kind of softened the soil, poured some water in it, tossed that seed in there, what might happen? Something might happen, right? Growth may happen because the soil was prepared and ready to receive. Here's my question right here. Are you right now, in this moment, postured to receive from God? Is your heart ready to hear His Word like fertile soil? Because when James writes to us, he says... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. And then here's the next phrase that we can't miss. Which is able to save your soul. So how important is it that our hearts are ready to receive? It's eternally important. Eternally important. What kind of soil is your heart? I'm reminded of um, the parable that Jesus told It's in Luke chapter 8 if you want to look at it. Luke, it's in all three of the synoptic gospels, but specifically Luke chapter 8 verses 4 through 15. In that that phrase or in that parable, Jesus actually says at the end of the parable, He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And He's connecting the idea of receiving the seed with hearing, isn't He? He talks about the soil, the parable of the soils. He says, you know, a sower goes out to sow the seed and he sows uh, some of the seed fell along the path. And he talks about, you know, that's where people walk. And it fell along the path and the birds came down and they swooped in and picked up the seed. And that soil didn't didn't produce. Then the next soil was a rocky soil. It had no no depth to it. The, the, The seed couldn't get its roots to go any deeper. And it was thirsty. The sun came out, scorched it. That, that growth died. The next soil was a thorny soil. It says that the, the seed and the, and the thorns wrapped themselves around whatever growth was coming and choked the life out of it. The, the weeds and thorns that were around whatever little growth sprung up killed it. And Jesus' point there is the cares of this world will choke out your soul. And then He says, then there was the good soil. And it was... Ready to receive the Word of God. So the question for us today is is easy, really. Are you postured to receive from God? As soft, prepped soil. The seed is the same. It's the soil that determines whether it can take root and produce fruit. Ultimately, fruit bearing and reproducing is what determines if the seed is actually received. One of the repeated themes in this passage we're reading today is this idea of deception. 
And this is one of those areas where I think people are very deceived. He says in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Look at the next phrase, deceiving yourself. So here's, if you can imagine it, a hearer only is one on which the seed has been tossed, but it's the soil is like this concrete floor. It's not ready to receive. It keeps hearing it. The seed keeps being cast onto it. It's hearing, but it's not receiving and doing. And what does the Bible say? James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. It's deceptive. He's going to go on to say there are a lot of people who say and think that they're religious. They think they are religious. And he's going to make it clear True religion, and we're going to talk about this, true religion does. It receives. It bears fruit. There's real life that comes out of a gospel seed being sown into a heart. Real life change. So first, receive the implanted word. When the word of truth lands on you, do you take it in and do you do what it says? Number two, be doers of the word. It's very simple, straightforward. Like I said, James, he he doesn't doesn't pull any punches. He's just going to tell you like it is. Not a lot of figuring out to this passage. Verse 22, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So right here, James is equating doing with bearing fruit. He's talking about having joyful obedience to the gospel, to the word. In this section, he uses um, a, n- a new metaphor. He's talked about seeds. He talked about sowing seeds. But a new metaphor he gives us here is a mirror. So verse 23, there's a transition word for. And that's the connection to this idea of um, hearing and not doing. He says, for any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man. So here's an illustration. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he's like. So maybe this morning you're like me. You woke up, kind of rubbed your eyes, rolled your feet out of the bed. Kind of getting yourself together. You walk in the bathroom. You go look in the mirror. If you're like me, you look in the mirror and you got like pillow creases on your cheek. And your hair's set kind of all crazy, messed up. You've got little crusties in your eyes. You can look at yourself and almost smell your breath. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. So imagine if I had looked at myself and gone, yeah, yeah, and walked out the door. What if you had done that? That's what James is saying. He's saying it's like a guy who looks at the mirror Because this book is going to show you who you really are. He looks at himself in the mirror and goes, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And James is saying that's a fool. A fool acts that way. The man who is hearing the word but not doing it is like that. It's like he's looking at himself. He's seeing the things that must change. He's seeing how real faith and real love should impact his life and he should act and do differently but he just walks away unchanged he forgets he turns looks the other way and forgets 
that his hair was a mess, that he had crusties in his eyes, that his breath was wretched. I mean, he just forgets. Doesn't do anything about it is what James is pointing to here. So here we have this kind of crossover, which we see it all the time in scriptures that that listening, you know, before we're talking about hearing the word. And now James is saying, looking at the mirror and we have this sort of overlap of those two ideas, this looking and listening that are the same. And honestly, um, they overlap a lot in the scriptures. When, when you hear the word, it changes your vision. You can see things differently. But not only that, in the, in the scriptures, hearing and seeing and understanding are, are used interchangeably a lot. Um, we do that in our English language as well. You know, if I said, uh, if I said hey, here's what I want you to do. Um, do you see? When I say, do you see? You know what I mean. I mean, do you understand? But we use the idea of seeing and vision interchangeably with, did you understand? Did you hear me? Do you see? Ah, yeah, I see. I see what you mean. We do the same thing in English. Well, that's what he's doing here in the biblical text is he's um, swapping between hearing to seeing. And he's saying when you see the truth in God's word, it's exposing who you truly are. Do something about that. The scriptures say, uh, look in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of liberty. Um, That is this word. Again, to reiterate, it's not my opinions. It's not my thoughts. It's not um, good self-help teaching. It's the law of freedom. Now, this is the connection point from last week's message. You know, last week I talked to you about um, what do you want to do? What's deep in your heart, your desire? What do you want to do? And that came from Galatians chapter 5. I want you to, if you can, take your Bible with me and turn to Galatians 5. I want us to look at this, um, this connection here. The law of liberty. What is that? Last week we were in Galatians 5 and we looked at specifically... Uh, verses 13 and 14. Look at what he says. Paul writing now. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Called to freedom. He began that chapter talking about how Christ has set us free and we don't need to submit to a yoke of slavery. And he's referencing the law. But now here he says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to sin. But through love... Serve one another for the whole law. So here's the idea now. A law of liberty. The law of freedom. You see the connection point? The law of liberty. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. What's that word? Love. We talked about it last week. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you you can work those two things, you'll be fulfilling all of the law. All that God commanded. So in the New Testament, here, here in this passage and in James, he's talking about a law of liberty. So what in the world does he mean? Going back to James 1, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. So now we're looking into this book, the mirror. 
the law of freedom and perseveres. So not, not to contrast, he's, he's not looking and then looks away and forgets. That was the other guy. This one looks at the law of liberty, love, and perseveres. That word persevere means to habitually continue. That's what it means. It means it's a, this is a, a daily um, routine that is deep and significant and he's continuing in it. Looks at the law of liberty and perseveres. Um, when we look at God's word, it's not like it was in Snow White. Anybody remember this movie, the Snow White movie? I think this is right, Snow White. It's been a while since I've watched it, but it's where, um, you know, she would say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the, what? Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror would, would say, would lie, right? The mirror would look back and go, oh, you're the fairest of them all, however it would lie, right? No? I need to watch this movie again. So it said Snow White was the, uh, the, the fairest of them all. Okay, good deal. Well, ruins my, my story. I should have watched the movie. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? That's, well, that's like looking at this, except the answer to that question is not you. It's Jesus, right? It's not you. I think sometimes we, when we look at God's Word, we want to we make it look back at us and tell us how good we are. And the truth is, it's going to look back at you and say, hey, keep, keep pressing on. Keep submitting. Keep surrendering to Christ. Keep repenting of sin. Keep, keep on. Keep on. Keep on. Keep trusting in Jesus. That's what this guy's doing. He's looking into the perfect law, the law of freedom. The law of love, and he perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. So just quickly, a couple of mirror mistakes. What are some mistakes we make when we look at the mirror? The first thing we typically do is we only take a glance. You know, if you, if you take the Word of God and you only take a glance at His Word, like, I'm going to spend five minutes in this book every day. That would be a good start. But there's not going to be any oak trees for Jesus on a five-minute devotional root system. Does that make sense? If you want to be a strong oak tree for Christ, it's going to take a little more than just a glance in the mirror. Spend time. Persevere in the, in the law of liberty. Spend the time with the Lord. Listen. Be a soft soil before you open the Bible. Say, Jesus, I need to hear from you today. I want to to be changed by you today. Open my heart to receive from you and then read with that kind of intentionality. And then after you've read, spend some time praying through what he's spoken to you, what he said to you. Lord, here's how I believe you're trying to change me. Here's what I believe you want to do in my life. Here's how I'm going to act as a result of what I've read That's what we're talking about. Don't just take a glance. The second mirror mistake I wanted to mention is just to forget what you see. I don't know if you're guilty of this, but I I find that I am. I feel like God shows me some things. And either I don't dwell on it long enough, I don't share it with somebody quickly enough, or whatever it may be, I don't write it down, I don't know what it is, but God will show me something cool, and I'll be like, that is awesome, man, wow. And then I walk away and I get busy... With whatever, and if you ask me ten minutes later, hey man, what what'd you get in the word today? Uh, I don't 
I don't remember. Or has anybody ever asked you, don't answer this, on a Sunday at lunch, you've just listened to a whole sermon and you sit down at lunch and they go, hey, what was the sermon on? And you go, I don't remember. Can't remember a bit of it. Don't answer that question. (laughs) Um, Don't forget what you see. Spend enough time looking into this word that it, that it resonates and sets in your heart. Thirdly, a third mirror mistake is to hear and not do. That's the kind of the theme of today. To see something in the mirror, to see and hear God say to you, here's what you need to do. And for you to go, mm, I don't think I'm going to do that. Is a huge, huge mistake. You want to know why? Let me explain why really quickly. Here's what happens to you when you do that. You pour a little rock over your soil. You put a little concrete, a thin little piece of concrete over the soil. So that the next time the seed is sown, it doesn't even hit dirt. It hits that that rock layer you've put on it because you've heard it and you said, "Mm -mm, no. You can harden your own heart. Look at Pharaoh, for example. The Scriptures actually say the Lord hardened his heart, but if you look at the sequence in the Scriptures, Pharaoh hardened it, Pharaoh hardened it, Pharaoh hardened it, and then there's a pivot. And the Scripture says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. If the seed of the gospel is sown on you and you hear God say, I want you to do this, and you say no, the next time He speaks, you may not hear it quite as clearly. And you say no, the next time He speaks, it'll sound a little more distant. You say no, and the next time He speaks, it'll just be a whisper. There is something to that. That your sensitivity to hearing the voice of God is directly affected by your obedience to His voice. The more you obey, the better you'll hear. People tell me all the time, I don't hear God tell me to do things. Well, what was the last thing He told you to do? Did you do it? Um, I've I've had a lot of stories that I could share with you, but I'll just share one with you. Um, I don't pick up a a lot of hitchhikers, but uh, occasionally... I do. And uh, we were driving down the interstate. We were actually on our way to a Thanksgiving meal with our whole family. We had, in my truck, we had me, my wife, my kids, and my dog, right? And, and some food in the crock pot or something, right? We had piles of food, and we're going down the interstate, and uh, there's this car on the side of the road. I see him because it's a long stretch way out in front. I see him. It's an older man, an older car. And uh, we're driving along, and um, I take my foot off the gas, and Lauren just looks at me. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, um, I think we need to stop. And she was like, we, we kind of have a car load here. And I was like, I really feel like we should, we should stop. Now, I'll be honest with you. There have been other times where I've been driving down the road, and I see somebody in need, and I, and I feel like I hear the Lord go, you need to pick them up. And I'm like, eh, I've really got somewhere to go. And I, and I just go on. Wrong. Big mistake. But in this moment, 
We're driving down the road, and I feel like we had every excuse in the world. We're on our way to family. It's a Thanksgiving thing. We actually have the food and the dog. We had every excuse in the world not to stop, but I felt like the Lord was like, you need to stop. So we stopped and picked this guy up. He, we slide my kids over. This guy gets in the car. We start having a long conversation. Turns out he's going to the city right next to her parents' city, where we were going. Turns out we take him... Uh, it was just a long story I could tell you, but I'll tell you this. We were so blessed by that obedience. Just by show of hands in the room. Has anyone ever experienced where you've stepped out on a limb, you've done something like that for God, and He blessed you? Anybody? That's what I thought. All around the room, hands are up. There's something about hearing God say, do it, and just do it. That's what James is talking about. Don't just be hearers, be doers of the word. Thirdly, he's going to talk, talk to us and tell us what um, true religion is. What is true religion? If we look at the text again in, in James 1, he says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure is undefiled before God. Or religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So one thing that strikes me is that James has no problem using the word religion. I feel like uh, in our day, we, we try to stay away from that word religion. Um, you, you might hear it said, and I think it's right, you know. Christianity is not a religion. It's about a relationship. I think that's true. You know, and, I, and I get the point we're trying to make there is that as Christians, we're not just doing regimented things um, to have relationship with God. We, Christianity is that Christ has come. He's done all that was needed to accomplish our relationship with God. And now we have a relationship with Him. So I get what we mean by that. But James has no problem using the word. And so I thought, well, we need to at least look at this word religion. And what he's saying here is um, what he's explaining by religion is just religion is whatever people are doing and believing. To be with God, to have God, to have a relationship with God. So he's speaking generally about it. He's saying If any man thinks he has or thinks he is religious, let me make it clear whether or not he is. And so he's going to tell us what true religion is. So number three, true religion, and I'm just going to put it this way and we'll explain. True religion sees, hears, and loves. True religion sees, hears, and loves. And I'm going to um, pick that apart for us. What James tells us is that true religion sees the afflicted and feels compassion, feels love. We see people like widows, orphans, and we feel a certain way about that. We see people on the side of the road. We see people addicted to drugs. We see people in prison. We see people who are hungry. We see people who are afflicted with some kind of issue, and we have compassion. We feel a sense of love, mercy. 
That's what true religion is. Um, the psalm we read this morning was Psalm 97 and verse 10 in particular. The psalmist writes and he says, You who love the Lord hate evil. You who love the Lord, and then here's the command, hate evil. So what do you take from that? Here's what I take from that. When we have a relationship with God, when we love God, we're going to love what God loves and we're going to hate what God hates. That's what the psalmist says. If you love the Lord, hate evil. Well, he could have gone on and he could have said, if you love God, you're going to love what he loves. You're going to feel compassion for those he feels compassion for. So true religion sees. I picked this up from this text. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. To actually see their hurt, to see their pain. And James is not giving us a comprehensive list here. He's not just specifically talking about widows and orphans, even though that's the details he gives. That's the social construct for need that they had in their day. Everybody was going to know if you're a widow, you're, you need help. If you're an orphan, you need help. So what he's saying to us generally is if there are people around you in need, see them. Open your eyes and see them. True religion sees them and then it hears. So secondly, we, true religion hears. Here's what I mean by this. True religion listens to the Spirit of God. Um, there's no formula for faithful obedience. That may not strike you right. Here's what I want to mean. Here's what I mean by that. What I mean is, you shouldn't put a law in your mind necessarily that you have to pick up every hitchhiker you ever see. That's a formula, and that's not faith. In the moment that you see a problem, God may want you just to pray. He may want you to stop and pick them up. He may want you to stop and provide for a need, buy them a hamburger, sit and have a conversation. There's not a formula. So here's what true religion does. It listens to the Holy Spirit. We go back to this idea of hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. Hearing and then doing. It means you actually take the time as you see that moment and you go, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you listen. And he may say, pray, go on about your day. Just pray for them. Keep going. Or he may say, here's what I want you to do. That's the thing about faith is it's constantly listening. We can't do what the Pharisees do and just put a rule to everything. That's the easy thing. Well, here, if this is your scenario, do this. If this is the scenario, do that. Well, if we make that list, we don't need God anymore. There's no need to hear Him. We've made our list. God wants us to listen and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And what He says, we do. So true religion hears. Thirdly, true religion loves. This is the law of liberty that James is talking about. It's the law of love. Paul would add to this from Galatians 5, 13 and 14. He says um, to love your neighbor. 
Um, I love this statement. When we talk about the, the law, the law of liberty, I'm going to elaborate on it now. I, I didn't so much earlier, but we're set free by this law. The Old Testament law was written on stone tablets. Remember the story? Moses goes up the mountain. He meets with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments and he writes them. God writes them with his finger in stone tablets. Well, later in the Old Testament, God prophesies and he says, I'm, I'm going to write my law on your hearts. And in the gospel, that's what he does. It's the law of liberty written on our hearts. It's different. It's not a stone tablet. It's, it's flesh. It's heart. But this law is not one that we're enslaved to. It's one that sets us free. We are free to love. We talked about that last week. It's the law of love, the law of grace. So this is where it gets tricky is that you can't deceive yourself into this one. The old law, you could, you could say, well, you know, hey, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't da-da-da-da-da. I haven't whatever. You can go down the list and you can think you are righteous. But the law of liberty is a law of your heart. And it goes back. This is the connection from last week. What do you want? The law of liberty, here's the connection. Men and women are free, talking about the law of liberty, we are free when we want to do what we ought to do. I want you to hear that again. I want that to set on you, okay? You are free when you want to do what you ought to do. That goes back to that whole deal in Romans 7 that Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do, I don't want to do. He's fighting with his flesh. But the law of liberty says that we are, we're free when what we want is what we ought. It's not that we're doing things out of compulsion, but we're doing things because we have a new desire, new appetite. It's what we want. There's a, a beautiful old hymn. I'll just share this word with you. Um, listen to these words. Four little lines. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Listen to that again. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. We're made free by Jesus Christ to actually do the things that we ought to do. There's something that happens in your heart. I'm thinking of a friend right now who's come to Christ recently and has just decided out of nowhere he wants to do meals on wheels. He wants to serve. He wants to do crazy things like that. Um, just serving and giving back. And the reason is not because he's trying to do a bunch of things to get to God. It's because God has gotten to him. It's not just that he's been looking at the word, looking into the, the scriptures. It's that the scripture has gotten into him. The scripture is looking into him and changing his desires. So what I'm saying to us today, and this is what I want to ask you is, um, is the seed of the word going to penetrate into you? 
in such a way that you're going to let it change you. Even this morning, what is God saying to you today to soften you so that you'll receive from Him? Too many Christians, you know, hear sermons and they mark in their Bibles. But they never really let their Bibles mark on them. What I want to say to us is we've got to be the kind of people who are soft and sensitive to God's Word. That when He speaks, we listen and we do. And it's out of love, love does. Move quickly through these last three things. Three tests of true religion. James gives us three quick tests. One, he says, is a controlled tongue. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. And this person's religion is worthless. So one is a controlled tongue. You know, what you say is going to tell on you. I hope you know that. Like the things that you say, they tell the truth. Um, because Jesus says it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if your mouth is full of filthiness or whatever, it's, it's not just your mouth. It's coming from deep. So out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what James is saying is, if any man says he's religious, thinks he's religious, but can't control his tongue, his religion is worthless. So he's basically working backwards. He's saying, what you do shows me whether you've received the soil, whether you've received the seed. And if you're speaking in a certain way, your religion is worthless. So a controlled tongue. Secondly, a compassionate heart. We've talked a lot about this, but specifically James is saying, true religion sees the orphan and the widow and does something about it in their affliction. So when we look around in our culture, we look around here, what do you see? What's the hurt that you see? I, do you see the opioid epidemic that I see? Do you see the drug and alcohol addiction that I see? Do you see the racial hatred? I read a story just the other day of, of, of a guy who was like, you know, I'd love to put this whole racial thing behind me, but I was just in a grocery store and somebody behind the counter was yelling at somebody else and calling them the N-word and all kind of derogatory things. And he wrote this post. He said, I'd love to put this race issue behind us, but it just keeps coming up because it's not behind us. Do you see that? I see that. Do you see hurt and feel compassion about it? And want to step into it with the kind of love that God calls us to. This church was founded, I believe, on a really incredible um, truth from Micah 6.8. And it says this. This is what the Lord requires of you. Anybody in here want to, want to say it? Love mercy. Do justice. And walk humbly with your God. Three things. Love mercy. Do right, do justice, and walk humbly with your God. That's what this church was founded on. Just living out that principle. When we see things like that, compassion, love should well up in our heart and it should lead us to action. Number three, an uncompromised life. So a controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and an uncompromised life. James says this, religion that is pure and undefiled, 
And then at the end of that phrase, he says, is, is a person who keeps oneself unstained from the world. So when he says pure and undefiled, that's not a repetition. Purity is talking about things from within, getting rid of the garbage from within. Think about purifying metal. You put it in heat, you put it in cold, you put it in heat. It's this process of getting the junk to the surface, cleaning it off, right? Purity is from inside getting the junk cleaned out. Um, That's purity. Undefiled is outside influences in. So it's to keep the outside garbage from getting in. So this process of being made pure is both an inside-out work and it's sort of a, a guarding, a filtering what's coming in. What's the junk outside of you that's getting in? He's saying religion that is pure and undefiled, that's true religion, is this. We keep ourselves unstained from the world. Um, a boat is a great thing, right? Uh, my dad owns a boat, and I've always said it's better to have a dad who owns a boat than own a boat. <laughs> um, it's also better to have neighbors with a pool than to own a pool. <laughs> but uh, the thing about a boat is this. Boats are meant for the water. They're not meant to have the water in them, right? You get the water in the boat, that's a problem. Boat in the water, perfect. Water in the boat, problem. It's the same with your life as a Christian. You're meant to be in the world and not of the world. I've heard this illustration. Somebody said, you know, when you catch a fish out of the ocean, you, you clean it, you cook it, you put it on your plate, and then you put salt on it. How weird is that? You pull a fish, its whole life has been in the ocean, salt water, put it on your plate and sprinkle it with salt. That's so strange. How? Because it's been in it, and yet it, the salt water, has not been in the fish. Somehow it's been in it its whole life and been unstained by it. And we've got to be much the same. We've got to live a life in the world and not stained by the world. In it, not of it. Here's the thing today. Love does. What's God calling you to do? I want to challenge you. Hear His voice. Do what He says. James tells us, that man will be blessed in all that he does.